بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وعلى Welcome to our next episode of the HeartSmith podcast and in this podcast we will be looking at some of the blessed words and statements and teachings of the great Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad who is commonly known as being the Mujaddid that is the renewer of the 12th Islamic century Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala benefit us through his works and through his legacy and allow us to open up our hearts to have the many meanings penetrate therein. And one of the beautiful things about the works of Imam al-Haddad is that they are very relevant to our everyday lives. Sometimes you can just pause on one sentence or even two sentences and sometimes even on that part of a sentence or even a word and reflect deeply upon it and when you think about the implications, it's very easy to make that connection between what he's saying in his books and to bring those into our daily lives. So inshallah ta'ala, we will be reading from a few of his works inshallah and that just short statements, first in Arabic, translate them into English and then trying to discuss some of those meanings inshallah ta'ala. So we will begin with the book An-Nasayah Adiniyah wal Wasayah which is translated as Councils of Religion, and we are on page 79 of the translation. Just as it is incumbent upon you to preserve your prayer, and forbidden upon you to neglect it, so you should firmly enjoin upon your spouse, children, and everyone else you are responsible for to perform it. You should allow them no room for abandoning it. You should threaten and punish those of them who do not comply. You should show them more anger than you would show had your property been damaged. Failing to act thus would only mean that you are one who belittles the rights of Allah the Exalted and His religion. Those whom you show anger to and punish, but who nevertheless remain heedless and disobedient, you must move them away from you and keep them thus, for such people are devils devoid of goodness and barakah. فحرم موالاته ومعاشرته وتجب معاداته ومقاطعته. You are forbidden to befriend them or keep their company and commanded to oppose and boycott them. وهو من المحادين لله ورسوله. They are those who oppose Allah and His Messenger. قال تعالى لا تجد قوم يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله ولو كانوا آباءهم أو أبناءهم وأخوانه وأشيرتهم أولئك كتب في قلوبهم الإيمان وأيدهم يروح منهم ويدخلهم جنات تجري من تحضير الهرو خالدين فيها رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه أولئك حزب الله 
Allah the Exalted says, You will not find any people who believe in Allah in the last day showing affection to those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, even if they may be their fathers or their sons or their brothers or their clansmen. Those are they in whose hearts He has inscribed faith and has confirmed with a spirit from Him. He shall admit them into gardens beneath which rivers flow perpetually to dwell therein. Allah is well pleased with them, and they are well pleased with Him. Those are Allah's party. Indeed, Allah's party are the successful. Here, He subhanahu wa ta'ala denies faith to those who show affection to those who oppose Him and His Messenger, even though they may be their nearest kin. The utmost that can be allowed the common Muslim, who's distracted as he is and immersed in worldly pursuits, is that when he misses a prayer, he should requite it at the earliest time. Uh, and he should repent for having missed it and resolve never to do so again. As for abandoning it altogether, never. Just to delay it from its appointed time is a great sin, even were it to be requited later on. Being too occupied with worldly affairs is no excuse. Only sleep and forgetfulness only sleep and forgetting are excuses. Rulers should ensure that the common Muslims perform their obligatory prayers. Those who abandon it due to indolence should be asked to repent. If they refuse, they should be executed. It is greatly sinful and reprehensible for those in charge to be aware of this, yet do nothing about it. There is no excuse for them to leave this or other similarly important matters of religion. Praise belongs to Allah, Lord of the worlds. I think it's important to put uh, this, uh, these blessed passages into context. And Imam al-Haddad is, of course, speaking uh, as about roughly 300 years ago, uh, living in a Muslim land where there was a ruler. And the sacred law was that, uh, hopefully, uh, that put into practice and that was his, his desire. And what we can take from this and the penal punishment that relates to abandoning the prayer indicates to us its importance. And of course, living in a place where uh, there are not Muslim rulers, we're not able to put that into practice. But even his that what he was saying there about being very hard on people that have left the prayer, this is indicating to us the severity of leaving of leaving the prayer. And what we we don't see is what was behind all of that, from the gentleness and the mercy and the training and the setting up of the house to be conducive as an environment where these meanings would naturally grow and so forth. So uh, it doesn't mean that we're harsh and severe to begin with. 
and usually when we don't neglect this responsibility from the beginning, I, we create the right environment and make it something uh, beloved to our children. And naturally children from a very young age will start joining the prayer and things like that. Then there's usually not a need for this, but in the event where we've neglected that entirely, uh, then it becomes very difficult to bring things back. So I, I know this is uh, mm. this is mm. intense, yeah. but I think it, it's it's there really to cause us to feel a deep-seated responsibility for our children and those that we're responsible for. And and I remember you said something recently about even the things that have a certain uh, firmness or might come off as more majestic or a stern. In reality, it's a mercy, because all of these things do not compare to, may Allah protect us, a moment in the fire. Mm -hmm. But what Imam al-Haddad is telling us is that this is, had, if we knew the reality of the outcome of abandoning the prayer, this would be like someone saying, you know, don't drink poison or don't mm -hmm. uh, put, you know, a fork into the power outlet and just, mm -hmm. it's, it's so damaging. And people don't realize it unless you're you use this kind of language to mm. and it's a mercy. It's mm. actually a mercy. Mm. And 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 I, and I wonder it would be a question I think that we should consult our teachers on. Uh, for instance, in places like now where we live, is that uh, there's a lot of uh, Muslims that have grown up, and you know they've even shown statistics that a very small percentage of Muslims are even praying Juma and praying their five daily prayers, and um, so. Um, how do we interact in an environment where the majority of people in the greater society are not Muslim, and then even the, the largest percentage of even people that have the same faith of Islam are also um, likely not even doing something as important as praying. And, and I would imagine that, that our teachers would say is that um, in our heart that we understand the seriousness of this matter, and that the first step is to mercifully and very gently bring people back mm. and even if they're not praying at all mm. is that we point them to something where they could do that thing and they would bring them one step closer and then one step closer and then one step closer and that, that's what i understand from the principles of the dean that if we feel by just being harsh with people that it would push them further is that in that instance is that we would that try to be gentle with them so that they don't go further yeah. uh, while at the same time being very careful uh, not to, you know, who we hire, who we allow close to us, who we allow our children to be around, these types of things. We don't want to, when there's another option, just open up the door for them to uh, that take prayer, that to, you know, to not take prayer seriously and so forth. And yeah. I don't know, what that's what comes to mind, man. What do you think? Yeah, no, Michelle, I think that's that sounds very wise because I think even in a lot of cases with people, part of the things that might have, deterred them from the masjid or from prayer was the harshness. And I think just, you know, subhanAllah, recently uh, covering Imam al-Ghazali's book on the the prayer and the, the, the realities of the salah and the essence of the salah, it's so beautiful to have that inner dimension. Mm. Uh, and I know growing up like in the 80s and 90s, for the average kind of, you know, children of immigrants, we didn't hear that regularly in the khutbahs, in the masajid. We didn't see that side. Mm in that time period. So I think if people knew about the beauty of the salah, the gift of the salah, the reality of the salah, it would really help them 
fall in love with it, and then at that point, it's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the, the problem is solved. That's a beautiful point, and that would be yeah that part of that first stage of making the prayer beloved to them. Yeah. So when we're told to uh, that can, you know command our children to pray mm-hmm. at age seven, mm-hmm. it's not just command. Yeah. Yani all of the meanings that are behind that creating the environment, making it beloved, teaching them the rules of it. And like you just mentioned, the beauty of it too. So not just the outward rules, but the inner side of it and, you know, finding ways where you reward them if they're consistent and, you know, do it as a family, like the way that you eat, a family that prays together, stays together. They talk about the importance of a family dinner, but even more important than that, the family prayer, like having a set time where you all pray. But then the parents, if they have a house, they don't designate a musalla. Yeah. They're not taking it seriously. And yeah. what do they expect? I remember Habib Hussein, he said, if both parent, parents aren't praying, they shouldn't expect. If both of them are not praying together and praying on time, they shouldn't expect that their children will successfully be able to accomplish that. And one of the things that's really beautiful, and I think it's part of like South Asian culture, is that I think when a child turns seven, they'll do like a party, like a salat party. Mm. They like bring the friends over and they'll, you know, basically celebrate that moment where now you can start praying. And I think that that can really put like a beautiful sort of frame of reference for a child, that this is something celebratory and beautiful and part of my development and growth. So we need those kind of things. Allah bless us to be from those who establish the prayer in a way that is uh, befitting of them. And just that point there about the, the penal punishments is, you know, in, in Western society that, um, you know, that might be looked down upon. But I just think it's important for us uh, to, to know as Muslims, even though we're not going to implement those as a minority in, in a non-Muslim country. But it's there to indicate the importance of that particular there to indicate how serious prayer really is yeah. and um, that uh, Western society won't understand those no matter how you, much you explain it because in order to really understand any of the penal punishments you have to believe in the hereafter mm. Mm. and when you realize there is a punishment because we believe in heaven and hell in the hereafter the penal punishment is there in place as a deterrent mm. And in the event that um, it's that uh, implemented on someone, it's so that they have their punishment here and not in the next world. So these things are are, are there as deterrents and there's wisdoms behind it. And I think it's very important to uh, understand all of the penal punishments in the uh, from the understanding of the overarching objectives of mm-hmm. the sacred law and preservation of religion and so forth and so on yeah. and, and how it's meant to be a deterrent to teach people the severity of the matter so so now we're on uh, so the complete summons and general reminder and we are on the uh, in the second paragraph on page 91 on page 159 if someone's following with, with in the Arabic let them beware, i.e., uh, the merchants, the businessmen, from cheating in weights and measures, for this is forbidden and loathsome. 
ويل للمطففين الذين إذا اكتالوا على الناس يستوقون وإذا كالوهم أو وزنوهم يخسرون إلى قوله تعالى يوم يقوم الناس لرب العالمين God the Exalted says Woe to those who deal in fraud Those who in others measure for them take full measure But when they measure or weigh for others defraud them Do they not think that they will be resurrected for a formidable day A day when all men will stand before the Lord of all beings وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام يا معشر التجار إنكم وليتم أمرا هلكت فيه الأمم من قبلكم المكيال والميزان And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, O merchants, you have assumed a function that destroyed many communities before you, measures and weights. أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام وكان بعض السلف إذا وزن لغيره أرجح حبه وإذا وزن لنفسه نقص حبه أي من النقص وكان يقول لا أشتري الويل من الله بحبه One of the ancestors used to add one piece of money when weighing to give and subtract one piece when weighing to take. He used to say, I will not buy perdition for a price. Let the merchant beware of monopoly, circulating bad currency, invalid transactions, and also practices that although not forbidden are discouraged. فإن ذلك إن نفعه في دنياه فإنه سوف يضره في دينه وآخرته ضررا عظيما. For if any one of these will profit him in this life, it will do great harm to his religion in life to come. ثم إنه يؤول به في دنيا إلى المحط والهلاك وسوء العواقب في جميع أحواله. Moreover, he will eventually suffer loss and depletion in this life as well as an evil conclusion for all his affairs. And I think uh, what's what's really important here is very few people actually learn the chapter on transactions mm. before they go into the business world, mm. whether it's corporate America or whether they're an employee or whatever it is that they do, any type of job that they get. And um, it's really important. And I think some of the legal matters that Imam Hadab might mention here, we might not come across as much because mm -hmm. of the difference of the time. But I, I think it's very important to learn a traditional chapter in fiqh and then learn from a scholar who can also point out some of the dangerous areas. Mm, yeah. You know, and they're definitely still there, things that we need to be aware of. If you're getting paid by the hour mm. and you're wasting time mm. and not doing your job mm. and you're only doing it for part of that hour, but you're getting paid for a full hour, wow. that's problematic. And all different types of things. Each job in, in our time is going to have certain things that you kind of want to be aware of. And I think it's really important that uh, also we have teachers that can understand, okay, what does a lawyer have to be aware of? What does mm -hmm. a carpenter mm -hmm. or a plumber have That's to be aware great. of? What does a... That's really important. Yeah. And that just goes back to even just like something as simple as like an after-school program or... Specific courses, you know, for Muslims in different fields, I'm just kind of having that uh, that consciousness, that awareness of what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, what things they might come across. That's really important. Subhanallah, I never thought of that. And the, the, and the the problem is, is that if you don't take the time to learn it, and you just kind of are going along with what everyone else is doing, uh, everybody knows in different industries. There's certain things that are standard, but it doesn't necessarily make them right. 
Yeah. And there's so many things that happen. I mean, just think about the stories you hear from our friends, like in corporate America, and, you know, the positioning that people do and the outright lies and trying to get them. Just look at like people's resumes. Like you're supposed to kind of, you know, embellish. <laughs> That's like the, what's expected, you know, it's just kind of like, well, what's the, what's the limit on that? Right. You know, on, on right. what you can say and what you, that's a very good point. Because if you put something down, it's really bending the truth. <clears throat> and then you get a job as a result. Because they think something, it's a problem. Oh. Yeah. And I remember Imam Zaid saying one time that even something as simple as like, you know, being in corporate America. And there was an individual who was uh, being interviewed. And he just, this is slightly different, but he just respectfully said, you know, I don't shake hands with women. And he ended up getting the job. And so if you, you're mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll still, Allah will provide for you. Mm -hmm. I think that's <clears throat> something that oftentimes parents um, unfortunately instill the fear of poverty in their children. That if somehow they don't do something the way that everybody else is doing it, that they're just going to starve. Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the things, at least in the United States of America, for the most part, if you're willing to work hard, for the most part, I know there's exceptions, I know there's people that uh, don't have privileges that other people do. Uh, but for the most part, if you're willing to work hard, you'll get by. Right? There's a way to get by. Yeah. And it's much better to have a smaller paycheck and stick to your principles yeah. than to be getting paid a lot and to compromise. Yeah, there's no barakah on that. It will come back to you. Yeah. Right? If not in one way and another, sometimes. فأما الاحتكار فهو أن يشتري الطعام ونحوه في حين حاجة الناس إليه بنية الادخار له إلى حين إلى حين يغلو. As for monopoly, it is to buy food and other necessities and hoard them until their prices rise. ورد أن المحتكر ملعون والجالب مرزوق. It has been transmitted that he who monopolizes is accursed, while he who provides well will be provided for. وهو الذي يشتري ليبيع في وقته وينتفع بربح يسير. He who provides is he who brings the food to the market and sells it immediately for a small profit. وورد أن من احتكر الطعام أربعين يوما ثم تصدق به لم يكن تصدقه به كفارة لإثم احتكاره. It has also been transmitted that he who monopolizes food for 40 days and gives it away in charity instead of selling it. It will not suffice to requite the sin of monopoly. Furthermore, those who monopolize will be resurrected in the company of those who took lives. So the commander of the faithful, Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, may Allah be pleased with him, Seized and burned the food that had been hoarded for monopoly. I mean, in even even something like this, like if you apply it to just modern business practices, mm -hmm. the the ethical standard of Islam is, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of any anything that's practiced in today's world. And they call it progress, and they call it this and that and the other. And then you'll have a you know mega corporation buy from like a small village somewhere in the world. And then it's a little bit cheaper in another place, and then they'll just, you know, totally move all of their business, and all of those people lose their jobs, 
or even hoard, like you know, hoarding and keeping these things. That's just it's all about the there's a, there's a really the bottom a, dollar. There's really a dark side to the whole system, and especially that the subtle to some eyes hidden side of what's called disaster capitalism mm. and what ends up happening there and how certain techniques are used to in a sense punish people and to make certain things happen and to control people and um, this is uh, yeah economic warfare is very much and we're taking that's a whole different yeah. level but it yeah. is based upon what you said yeah I mean, uh, how unprincipled it is and then how we as Muslims just fall into this idea that oh it's good yeah and we just throw around these words like democracy capitalism yeah and we know almost nothing about them and just uh, think that these are unmitigated goods and uh, without really thinking you know how do we view these things and yeah and how many people know that there is already a beautiful system laid out by Allah and his messenger how many people even know that let alone they don't know it but they just know it exists yeah. very few may Allah increase us in and knowledge you could, you could you could still and 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 even if you can't fully implement it at a very large level, mm. you can still do it on your own. That's the beauty, is like you don't need a government to put the sharia into practice. Mm. Yeah, there's certain things of the gov of, of of the sharia that are ahkam sultania that you need a government. But for instance, in relation to transaction, you can impose that on yourself. Mm. You can choose to do certain things and to avoid certain things and to be cautious in this matters and that and the doors open and then you're going to be the one who benefits from choosing to live and think about how beloved that would be to Allah in a time where people have very few principles that you're trying your best to remain cautious in. And then how many people, you know, the, you know the stories better than I do of, of different scholars and righteous people who were in commerce and trade and someone would come and buy from them, they'd buy tea and then they would give them some sugar for free. You know, or they would weigh things. I remember even experiencing this myself in Tarim. I went to buy some uh, dates and he weighed it and it was just about, you know, I don't know, half a kilo, whatever it was. And he weighed it and it was just about equal. And then he put a whole another scoop in of more dates to give to me. And I said, no, no, you don't need to do that. He said, yes, I do. It's in the Sharia. <laughs> so I was learning ahkam of fit that I had in the marketplace. You know, that just goes to show places of knowledge and righteousness and how beautiful. People will come to Islam, people's hearts will open up, they'll see the goodness in that. You realize that Allah is in control. Like you think that you're something's missing by giving up, but no, any Allah's warding out tribulations from you. He's placing blessing in their sustenance for you by these small meals and things. I think he's gonna get then into unsound we... currency, which we talked about in general, but let's save that for Okay. And then I, I just thought of it, you know, also too, but there's, uh, you know, certain things that that are questionable, like, you know, plastic surgery, for example. Mm. There was someone who was telling me that uh, there was a, a, a Muslim plastic surgeon who that opted out of doing surgeries for people that were getting plastic surgery just for the sake of mm. they wanted to change the way that they looked. Mm. He would do it for people that had like skin burns, problems that were in burns and a car accident mm. or something like that. Yeah. He would help them, people that by way like of a need, like, yeah, restorative. like restorative type, mm. in a restorative type way. And he just, 
I don't do procedures for people who, right? And I mean, think about how much money you can make as a plastic of surgeon course. in a day where people want to change the way that they look outwardly because of that internal void. But um, you can do it. You can stick to your principles. Yeah, and people respect that. And then people respect that ultimately. Even if they disagree with you, they like anyone who stands for something, especially in this country, they respect that. That is very true. Okay, so we are now reading from Al-Fusul Al-Ilmiyah. That's Knowledge and Wisdom in English on page 63 of the translation. And on the bottom page 79 for those following in Arabic. Qadil Mu'alifu Rahimahullah wa qad ashara hujjat al-Islami Rahimahullah ta'ala fi ba'di kalamihi ila shay'in mimma dhakarnah. And the proof of Islam, may Allah have mercy on him, has given similar indications in his writings. To explain further, and Imam al-Haddad is talking about the golden mean, the balance between extremes. Uh, to explain further, if a man giving charity is undecided as to whether he is being miserly or prodigal, let him go a little more toward the side of excess for this is better than avarice. The soul, the nafs, is inclined to like money and to dislike parting from it, so that it must therefore always stand accused of miserliness. If a man is undecided, whether he is excessively or insufficiently humble, let him move a little bit more toward humility, for the same reason as was mentioned previously. As for habitual things, if, for example, he cannot decide whether he is taking the right amount of food or sleep, let him move toward reduction and economy, for the nafs again stands accused here. And any reduction in such things is unreservedly praiseworthy, so long as it does not affect one's mind or body adversely. Understand these things, for they are important. So, Imam Ghazali, uh, Imam Ghazali this is, uh, his books are so similar to Imam Ghazali, and he summarized so many of his teachings. It's very easy to make that mistake. Imam Haddad, radiallahu anhu. What did the, the, what's the title chapter of The, the Golden Mean. The Golden Mean, yeah. So he, he, he's talking in this chapter about, as Ustadam did mention, uh, the importance of the golden mean, always remaining in the middle. And ultimately, we are an ummah of the middle way. And that's reflected in our belief system. That's reflected in our sacred law. And that's reflected as well in relation to the spiritual path and the character that we are called to uh, acquiring, the character traits we're called to acquiring. So he mentions, for those that are looking on in English, before all of these various traits 
and how ultimately, whether it be generosity or courage or humility or modesty, is that what we want is to be in the middle. And then what a beautiful paragraph here where now he's saying, because it actually really happens that someone actually just asked me a question yesterday about they, there's a particular situation and they were very angry. Mm. And I think they, they, they wanted to lash out and felt that the person deserved mm. to kind of hear it mm. as a result of what they, they did. And they were asking about, okay, if you feel like this is the right thing to do, is that what you do? Mm. And um, I think it, this, is, this is the scale that helps us deal with a situation mm. like that. Mm. So in relation to like anger, usually we are uncontrolled and usually that we are imbalanced in, yeah. in, in the way of excess, i.e. that we don't, we do too much. Yeah. So that would be an example in my mind where it's like, okay, you know, try to go a step lower. Mm. You still think you need to have a firm response, but tone it down slightly. Mm. Now, very easy to say in the heat of the moment. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. But uh, this is extremely practical. Yeah. If you really think about this, and he himself said it's important yeah. and precious. Yeah. There's so many things of our life that kind of fall into. Absolutely. And then even that breakdown, when it comes to areas that are praiseworthy, then, you know, and you're not sure if you're in the balance, like to add a little bit into mm -hmm. your life. Maybe I'm, am I being too humble? Well, generally, humility is a good thing. So incline towards humility. When it comes to things that the nafs already inclines toward, right. am I sleeping? Well, you know, and now there's so much about kind of self-care and self-love, and and that has there's a you know there's a there's a, place for there's a place for it, but even then we have to be very careful as Muslims that okay, well, am I giving in too much to my nafs? You know, yes, my body has a right over me, but you know, I can you know making sure that I'm doing my prayers on time and. Yes, you know, we need food, but fasting is praiseworthy. You know, so mm -hmm. always having that kind of inclination away from the nafs, you know, away from its mm -hmm. comforts. Mm -hmm. It's really, subhanAllah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Everything happens now. Everything has its place. This is a longer, this is one of the longer chapters. Yeah. I think for time we should probably okay. no, and it's, uh, stop there. I think that, there's a lot there. That's an example of one small paragraph. But again, like... You could, you know. Imam Haddad, I think he said this book, each chapter could be a book. Allah. Like, this is just like. <laughs> I mean, it's so profound. I mean, think you, you could remain with that one uh, paragraph for a long time. Yeah. And really just think through in your life all of these different scenarios. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess the problem is most of the time we're not thinking, we're just kind of just going through the motions. Yeah. And, but if you really try to apply that, okay, you know, sleep. Food, uh, that uh, exercise, different character traits. So differentiating between anger, desire, all these different things is so many things that could apply to. Okay, I think uh, we might only get book of assistance. Now. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> رسالة المعاونة المظاهرة بإمام الحدد and we're on page 121 of the Arabic so this is from the book of assistance and we're on page uh, 80 in the middle إلى انقار رضي الله عنه وإياك والاحتكار وهو أن تشتري طعاما تعظم الحاجة إليه وتدخره بنية الغلاء this happens so much 
totally unplanned. Yeah. We're reading it in different parts of different books, and then and I can almost there's probably someone who's going to hear this who needs it. Right. Like they might be tested with that where someone's oh you know put this away and right. some kind of business deal's going to happen where people are going to need it right. and it'll go up and they might be like should I do it or not? Right. I don't know. <laughs> he translated as monopoly in the other book and he explains what it really means which is to buy food which is much needed and then hoard it until the price goes up. So people need something, but you are unnecessarily raising the price on people yeah. to make it difficult for them to get when there's a need. Yeah. And Whereas in reality, we should try to make, especially in times of need, people need food. Yes. Make it easier willing for them. to take less. Yeah. yeah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Well, Amr al-Thalith, and this is all kind of under, uh, I think, scrupulousness, والأمر الثالث الانهماك في شهوات الدنيا والتبسط في ملذوذاتها. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So let's just read back so we have the context here. But religious men are prey to ambiguities because they neglect first, excuse me, they neglect three things. Firstly, they do not investigate thoroughly where this is appropriate. Secondly, they do not safeguard themselves against invalid transactions. And then now we're getting into the third one. Thirdly, they are engrossed in the world's cravings and indulge abundantly in its pleasures. Scrupulousness under such circumstances becomes difficult and the lawful is narrowed down. Lawful things do not bear extravagance. وَأَمَّا مَنْ غَرَضُهُ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا أَخْذْ قَدْرِ الضَّرُورَ أَوْ الْحَاجَةِ فَالْوَرَعْ مُيَسِّرْ لَهُ what a beautiful principle. On the other hand, scrupulousness is rendered easy for those who want only want what is necessary from the world. Mm. Look at that. So that I mean that relates to exactly what we were just talking about. Like no matter how difficult things are in the world, if you remain principled and you want to remain scrupulous, you you have to be willing to give up something. Mm. And just think about the people we know that even in the community here, yeah. that our lawyers, for instance, could have had very high paying jobs, but chose to do it on their own and take a huge pay cut as a result, right? You know, doctors who want to have a little bit more flexibility, I mean, or other people, you know, it's, it's, uh, subhanAllah. And Allah provides for them. And, and they're happy, they're going to be happier, they're going to be more fulfilled. Yeah. They don't have, you know, an hour and a half commute right. in a rush hour traffic every day. <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the blessed things of living in this yeah, place. Where we live, our commute is less than three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> DC area over the weekend is like my goodness. Yeah. The amount of stoplights and how long you sit at a stoplight, and like the it's only like two miles away, but like or whatever yes. the distance is, and there's so many stoplights, and each one yellow teeth. I mean, but so, yeah. I'm not used to it because here there's there's even so, in rush hours there's not exactly. so much traffic. Yet. Alhamdulillah. So, yes, I am advocating that people leave the cities, flee, <laughs> flee to the fields. Yeah, mashallah. I don't regret it. I left, I mean, I, I miss the people in Toronto, but I don't I don't miss the big city life like that. Yeah. Didn't you have like an hour and a half commute? Hour and a half each way, at each least. Alhamdulillah. 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 وفي اليوم والليلة برغيفين من الخشكار لم يعوزك 
من الحلال ما يكفيك. Some difficult words there. The proof of Islam, may Allah spread his benefit, has said, if you are content with one rough shirt a year and two loaves of coarse grain each day, you will never be short of your lawful sufficiency, for the lawful is abundant. حصل من علامة ناجزة مقرونة بالمال انتهى. You are not required to investigate deep into everything, but just to be wary of that which you either know is unlawful or suspected to be so from any evident indications associated with the money. وإذا حك في نفسك شيء فمن الورع اجتنابه وإن أحله ظاهر العلم. When you have suspicions and scrupulousness obliges you to abstain even though that thing may be, to all outward appearance is lawful. For sin is that which causes inward suspicion and hesitation even should you be given a legal opinion by those entitled to give them, as the Prophet stated وسلم, but this concerns those whose hearts are illuminated and who incline to the side of abstinence and not that of indulgence. That's a really nice question. <laughs> Do not think that scrupulousness involves only food and clothes, rather it involves everything. However, if you are in possession of lawful and more purely lawful or lawful and su suspect things, then use the most lawful that you have in matters of food. Everything depends on food. Which, when licit, yani permissible, has a great illuminating influence on the heart and gives the body energy for worship. Someone was just telling me recently how uh, that you know sugar and white refined sugar mm. um, is so harmful to the spiritual path. Mm. Not even in relation to the, the body, the physical body, yeah. but spiritually, the way that it affects your presence of heart and. Even that various experiences that one might be gifted and things like that, like it's harmful, you know, and it's it's just, and just think about how the door that's there, there's so many, how hard you have to work, to eat right, and all the different things that you have to avoid, and you know, even being in a community and everything that everyone else gives you, and it, it's really hard, but it's, everything depends on food, Imam Haddad says. And I, honestly, just uh, I just remember at Dar al Mustafa's when studying there that just eating the food there, it was always like energy for everybody. Mm. Like it was unlike anything else. Mm. Like you would eat a meal, yeah. and instead of generally you kind of feel like I want to rest after a yeah. meal, you felt yeah. like this energy yeah. to. And people right doing adhkar as they're cooking the food, mm. and the food is mm. from halal sources, and Mashallah. it makes a big, huge difference mm -hmm. in reality. وقد قال بعض السلف كل ما شئت فمثله تعمل. One of our predecessors has said, eat what you will, for in the same wise your actions will be. وقال إبراهيم بن أدهم رحمه الله تعالى أطب مطعمك وما عليك ألا تقوم الليل ولا تصوم النهار. 
And Ibrahim Adham, may Allah have mercy on him, has said, if you eat well, you will no longer feel obliged to pray at night and fast by day. I think for time we're going to have to uh, stop there. I can continue. Yeah,